From the Middle Tennessee Association of Realtors, you're listening to Tenants in Common, a podcast sharing stories, motivation, and insight into the real estate industry. special episode of Tenants in Common, and with me is our current president, Mr. Christopher Wilson. Yes, sir. And who do we have here today, Chris? We have our president-elect and immediate past president of NARPM, Scott Abernathy. Hey, guys. How's it going? He's also one of the owners of uh, Property Management Inc. Inc. And so that's why we actually have him here today is to help us discuss some of the topics going around about outside investment home ownership. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about to get some information out today. So, so he's your protege. He's our income. <laughs> protege. Yeah. Okay. Let's go. Let's go with that term. <laughs> I mean, let's let's pause for a minute and give some kudos to you. You were the national president of NARPM. The National Association of Residential Property Managers. Because I always mess it up. 2021, yes. Uh Mm -hmm. How? What was that experience like? Arduous. It was a lot of work. And it's all completely volunteer. It took a lot of time, but it was well worth it. What was the rose and thorn? The thorn is social media. A lot of stuff on social media that's just not right, that, that you know is not right, but convincing people it's not right. I guess that's thorn in a lot of people's side, but whenever you're in leadership, you know more than other people, and explaining it is more complicated than a you know one paragraph bite on social media. What's, uh, what's the rose? The people you meet, and you get to uh, meet a lot of people, get to know a lot of people, and learn an awful lot of stuff from a very high level, a much higher level than you're going to learn in any other way. You know, you're meeting with the assistant deputy secretary of, the, uh, of housing and urban development, you know, uh, things like that. It's just, it's really amazing. The, uh, it was funny because when we talked to Scott about coming in and, and helping us, because uh, once again, we're volunteer, of course, here at MTAR as well, uh, helping us with that. One of the big things was, is he represents a vastly growing part of real estate in the residential property management sector brings of course national experience with him and then you know can give us all of that information and help us with all that side of things while also helping us with a growing association here locally as well and although you know i laid it on thick uh, he was pretty generous into you know volunteering to do that, especially in a follow-up year because he still has obligations with NARPM as the immediate past president this year for them. So I'm happy to be here, though. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a vital part of our industry, and folks that have a real estate license, what do they need to know? Our members need to know when somebody approaches them and says, "Hey, I need you to manage my properties." Sure. There's a, a lot, and they can, it's not, not something I can just put into a soundbite. Uh, but right here at MTAR, I teach a class called Basic Policies and Procedures. It's six hours, and that's all it covers is the basics. Bottom line is it's a different business. It's, uh, you know, commercial is a different business than residential. 
Uh, property management's a different, and there's even segments of property management that's different from one another, from managing commercial properties to residential to short-term rentals uh, and HOA management. All that is lumped into property management, kind of like in real estate, property management's lumped into real estate. So uh, they're just very different businesses. I'd say the number one thing you have to think about is fair housing. Fair housing is the same law that real estate sales has to deal with, but you have different rules. I guess the, the impact of fair housing is different for a landlord slash property manager than uh, for a real estate agent. And second is accounting. You gotta understand trust accounting. If you don't understand trust accounting, you're gonna get in trouble really fast. Yeah, I definitely wanna talk about that from my experience at the Real Estate Commission. But for those that have a license, that are our members listening, and someone approaches them and says, I need you to manage my properties, don't they need to clear that with their broker? Don't they? What are the things that they need to do on their part to make sure that they're compliant? Certainly. It's the same thing as a listing. If you get a listing for sale, that, that uh, listing doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your firm. So, yes, your firm and your broker need to be on board. The trust accounting I was just talking about, that's not the agent's trust accounting. That's the firm's trust accounting. Uh, so, yeah, the broker definitely needs to be on board. One of the things I think we're trying to show not just new agents, but a lot of times new agents when we're talking to them, but, but all agents is this kind of idea of a combination of the concept of staying in your lane and go deep before you go wide. So if you're, a, myself included, I'm a residential sales agent. And, and so that's my specialty. And even though by rule or by law, I have the ability to sell commercial or, or manage a, a rental property, I don't. Now our brokerage has a uh, a property management company in it and so we can go there but if yours doesn't and your broker doesn't there's places like Scott that, that that's what they do that's their specialty and so when I'm teaching new agents I tell them a lot of times focus on what you need to know become an expert at what you're trying to do before you try to branch out into other things and Scott and I have done stuff together and, and had clients work together and that's the beautiful thing about it is when you refer stuff out it allows you to stay kind of in your lane and in your specialty while making sure your clients are taken care of by somebody who has 100% of the information needed about not just those two topics that Scott talked about, but the hundreds of other ones that you kind of have to know about before you step into those worlds. Otherwise, you can end up in one of the worst case scenarios, which is massive lawsuits Chris if you're Fry, not careful about it. I love the way you put that, go deep before you go wide. Uh, I've opened my firm in, I guess it's been a long time ago, I can't... 2015, I guess it was, and we really focused on residential property management, and we went really deep in that, and we were really good at it before we opened our HOA division, and then went really deep into that before we opened our short-term rental division, which is just beginning right now. We'll go really deep into that also. I like that that thought process. It, it's important, though, because, you know, it's that thing of, uh, you know, being okay at a lot of things or being really good or a master at one and the truth is, especially in real estate, most people have found out that when you find your lane and you stay in it, your success level is tremendously higher than if you try to spread out, especially if you try to spread out too quickly. So it, it's an important aspect. So that's why it is one of those things that, you know, yes, it's great to learn all the information, but if you're not excessively knowledgeable and, and understanding of all the different rules and dynamics and laws that go into it, refer it out. Refer it out. Same with commercial, same with any of them. Don't, don't try to step into a pond that you're not you know, ready to play in. And I still do it to this day. So That's, that's smart business. The, 
I'm so sensitive to trust accounts and those monies that come in. And when I was at the Real Estate Commission, the informal hearings that we'd hear from property managers across the state, you know, with issues, there was one specifically out of East Tennessee uh, where that property manager walked away with $300,000 in cash. And here in Murfreesboro and in our outline areas, especially here in a college town, there's a huge amount of money that comes in these trust accounts. It's more than a million dollars a month that comes into my office every month. It's an enormous amount of money that you have to account for every penny of, yes. Because it's other people's it's money. It's not mine. That's right. It belongs to somebody else. Uh -huh. What, uh, if you had to give a very quick speech to someone about that, what, what are the points you would give them? Sure. About sure. Ensure, ensure you have a three-part reconciliation process. Uh, software will help you with this an awful lot, but you still need three sets of eyes on it. Uh, in our office, we have the bookkeeper that processes a payment or writes a check, as, as some, we used to call it. These days, because just you know, paying somebody is a push of a button these days. Uh, so one person that processes a payment, then the broker of the office uh, pushes the button or signs the check, and then ultimately a third party. In, in our office's case, and I have three offices, one in Huntsville and one in Memphis and one in Murfreesboro. Uh, I'm the one that reconciles everything. So uh, if you're not good with numbers, you need a third party off-site to reconcile everything for you to, that you're paying off-site. And when you pay your, um, your clients, do you wire those funds to them? So then you've got that whole other issue of ensuring that you're wiring. It's not really a wire. It's an ACH. Okay. Uh, automated Clearinghouse, how we use it. And some of them still are, have checks. As a matter of fact, I have a realtor here in Murfreesboro who's one of our clients, and he still comes to our office on the 10th of every month to pick up his check. It's why he likes it. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> one of the things I wanted to cover, and a big part of the reason we want to have you in is, and you mentioned a second ago with a, a thorn being social media for NARPA, but also for all of our industry as a leadership whole. in general in general yes and so one of the things going around social media right now uh is the blame of the current market on ownership trends from reits real estate investment trust or ibuyer type programs and it's there's some individuals and groups who are pushing this as the primary cause of our current market situation uh, to the point where I saw a post last night where they were talking about 10% of residential properties are owned by a REIT in Rutherford County. Is that something you're seeing? Is that something you're experiencing? What are some of your thoughts on, on that process? I don't know the exact statistics. Uh, if it's 10%, 10% seems pretty high to me. Uh, but I do know our biggest competitor in the property management for as far as leasing is concerned would be things like Progress Residential, American Homes for Rent, I mean, I'm not saying anything good or bad about them. I'm saying they are our biggest competitors as far as attracting tenants, although tenants are not that difficult to attract. Now, they manage only their own properties. Uh, they're not doing third-party property management. It is a significant part of a certain segment of our, our business, our, our real estate uh, in, in our community. I'd say sub 400,000. You're getting much more than 400. You're getting out of their demographic, out of what they're looking for. They're all looking for that... Um, three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage, and bonus room uh, type property. So uh, between three and four-ish, I guess, in today, although that could be five and six-ish next week. Who knows? <laughs> Are you seeing this cause a big um, 
negative impact on the market or neutral impact? Like, what, what are your feelings as far as the impact of it, though? Because what we're being made to believe is that that is, and, and it could be right or wrong, and that's why we, to at least get your opinion, that is the causation of the shortage or a big part of the causation of the shortage. That's a causation of taxation issues and all these other domino effects that go along with it. What are your kind of feelings on some of that? I would say no. It has to do with household creation. It has to do with macroeconomics. And I'm regurgitating some stuff that we've heard from Lawrence Hume from the National Association of Realtors, our, our chief economist, who talks about the household creations being the most important thing. It's not a matter of whether they're sales or rentals. We have people that need households in general. And we have spent the last 15 years under-constructing and we've got many years to go to be able to catch up. This has little to do with iBuyers. You know, they call them iBuyers today. These are house flippers. And we've mm -hmm. had house flippers forever, uh, you know, wholesalers. We've had wholesalers forever. You know, people were concerned about Zillow coming in and buying houses. I mean, basically, they're kind of wholesaling, which is just a – they're just uh, uh, scaling it up. And I tell you what, you're seeing some really big operations in wholesaling these days. I'm sure many of anybody that owns rental properties is getting all kinds of text and letters and postcards today. Well, these are very large outfits that have figured out how to scale the wholesaling business. But it has nothing to do with our inventory. Our inventory has to do with the, with the household creation. I can go deeper than that. <laughs> At the risk of sounding rude, we have boomers that won't die, <laughs> which is not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying that, but in today's day and age, they're living longer and healthier. A great example are my parents, and I realize this is anecdotal, but they're in their mid-80s, and they live in a home they just bought about two and a half years ago in Mirabella. You know, they, they moved to their McMansion in their 80s and are living healthily in their home back you know, 20 years ago. By the time you got to your mid-80s, you were already selling your house off to the next generation that's raising their family and moving into some sort of, you know, assisted housing. Then you got millennials, the largest generation this world has ever seen, that are just now coming out of their shell and creating households also. So between the two, it's a household creation problem, not, a, not an iBuyer problem. And I agree. That's one of the things that I've seen for a while is, is the under... Uh construction, you know, the new construction houses being under uh, starts, uh, not happening the way they should. They talked to us about that for a lot of many different reasons. A lot of them were scared coming out of the last downturn. And still, to this day, you'll still meet builders that are nervous about it. But that's actually another interesting topic, though, because you and I were even talking about this this last week in D.C., where we're seeing people build for the purpose of investment properties for rentals and, and things like that. You uh, read an article the other day in Denver. I think there's a, a whole community that is being constructed as a rental community. That will be the whole purpose of it. They're here in the Nashville market too, yeah. Okay, so we are seeing them even see, locally uh, now. American Homes and Rents doing one in Gallatin right now. Uh, okay. A, uh, let's see. I, I guess I shouldn't call names, but I, I was talking to a contractor developer, and he's developing 130 units, I think, in Laverne, where one of these hedge funds have bought Every property, uh, every unit, all 130 of them, completely constructed, build to rent. So, yeah, it's, it's happening here, too. Again, it's household creation that's, that's going to help our supply issues, but I wouldn't worry about that if I was a residential sales agent. And I think some of this, too, is, is uh, not just from the residential sales agent perspective, but from the consumer perspective. They're fed 
sometimes that there's this weird fear of the shortage and then you know placing that blame somewhere and whether that blame was appropriate or not is a, a big question and and like you said in some communities we know the communities that built that style house they do own a large portion of that but in the rest of it it doesn't seem as prevalent so yeah, you mentioned social media and, and it just something on the appearance doesn't look, I, I actually mentioned this whole issue of us having under construction that we're still under constructed to my girlfriend Beth just the other day and she looked up and said but there's construction everywhere and it does look like that mm -hmm. I mean it does look like there's construction everywhere but we're still incredibly below the bar on where we should be now one of the other things that will go in a completely different direction maybe something a little bit more fun or something that people are paying attention to the short-term rental aspect of things you have just gotten into a couple of your people being certified to manage short-term rentals, and you're, you've kind of started that process up. How's that going? What's that experience like? That's correct. It's a, that's a different license also. It's part of the Tennessee Real Estate Commission, but it's called the Vacation Lodging Services License. Uh, so a real estate license is not what you need to uh, track manage. Didn't want it. Uh, right, yeah. Track did not want yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have a Vacation Lodging Services License, and we do have, we just got that license back in December, I guess it is, and, and believe it or not, had our very first booking in Murfreesboro last night. Uh, Nice family of 10 coming into an, a, a unit that sleeps eight for a graduation. They're going to stay all week long. Yeah, so uh, we're really excited about that division. It is a very different business, though. It is a hospitality business, not necessarily real estate business. You've got a lot of moving parts, a lot more moving parts than that. And it's different also with the, with the trust monies that come in because that, those monies can actually be used to pay the garbage fee and um, it's different than a property management. It's similar. Model. Like garbage fees and stuff like that can come out of trust accounting also. What you can't do is commingle funds True. with both of them. You can't commingle your money or somebody else's money with somebody else's money. Uh, you have to have everything organized. So, yeah, the trust accounting is, is massive in both of those. But because there's so many moving parts in the STR, it's even bigger there. You're probably not going to manage as many STRs as you will uh, residential properties, though, it's just more difficult to scale. It's, uh, there's so much move, so many moving parts. It's interesting that that's becoming a, a business model more prevalent in this area. You know, Sevierville, Pigeon Forge, East Tennessee, we know it's massive. Been around for a and long time, yes. Long time. But, you know, with Tim's Ford and all of our outlying Mont Eagle, we've got in our MTAR region, we, we've got that. And our MTAR region is also pretty unregulated. Now, in Metro Davidson County, you've got a lot of regulations. Same with Murray County, Williamson County. But in most of our area, it's not, it is not. Uh, I concern we're, we're going to see some more regulation, especially regarding the uh, uh, inventory problems that we have. Because let's face it, every house you pull out of you know, either the rental market or the, the sales market, you pull out of inventory. So I do see some issues coming there, especially when it comes to affordable housing. So you do see it growing big enough around our area that the regulations will start following? It surprised me. I'm not real sure it's not a fad. I mean, because like I said, this vacation rental stuff has been going on for decades mm -hmm. on the coast and in the mountains. You know, outfits like VRBO and Airbnb, they just kind of brought it all inland. And, uh, and, and those, by the way, are marketing platforms and booking platforms. They actually don't own any properties. Mm -hmm. uh, but they brought it all inland. I wonder how long it will last. We're going to see it's lasted longer than I thought. That's why I went ahead and, and dove into it also. Maybe it is here to stay. Uh, we're having fun with it so far. Now, to get onto uh, 
you know, for the last few minutes here, I want to talk about if you were advising a potential investor, you know, an agent that wants to start owning, we, we talked a lot about wealth building as well. You know, we've had, a, Scott and I got the opportunity to stay together for a week and had a lot of conversations about a lot of this stuff and very similar background, similar personalities, way raised and things like that. And so it's always interesting when you hear other people's story about how they determined they wanted to start building wealth and, and stuff like that. So when you're sharing your story or talking to somebody about that, just getting started, just wanting to maybe buy their first investment property. What's some advice you give? I mean, you've been giving it to your son here of late. So let's hear some of those fatherly wisdoms from you. So yeah, my son is 24 and he's closing his second house uh, Friday, as a matter of fact, up in Old Hickory. He's quite excited about it. So awesome. here's a core belief I have. And you, you realtors out there really need to take, take heed of this, I believe anyway. I believe that the very best way for middle-class Americans to become upper-class Americans is through scattered site rental property ownership. And allow me to explain my, my core belief there. You know, I hear a lot of folks that are wanting to do apartment buildings, apartment complex. Great idea. I like that also. But it's so difficult to save with a like a W-2 or commission salary, you know, income, the $600,000 down payment it takes to do that. You know what I mean? But especially as commission salespeople who we can make a lot of money in this business, it's really not that big a deal for us to save the fifty dollars or $60,000 it takes to buy a rental property. And that rental property will go up in value. You guys have seen it. Anybody's mm-hmm. been in this business? Yes, we had a little blip in the Great Recession. That is incredibly rare. And even that, we survived, and it's way above the, the values of then uh, than it was then. It is an absolute great way for us to do that. And us as realtors are in the driver's seat to find the pro- properties and know what's, what's good out there. And we realtors really need to be practicing what we preach and owning what we're selling. And I agree. And, and uh one of the things that I would encourage people is when you're looking to do it, just like with anything else, go talk to somebody who's an expert in it. You know, I hire a coach. I'm sure Scott, you've had coaches before. You know, we, we will hire people to help us be a personal trainer or, or, you know, dietitian, lose weight, things like that. But then sometimes we'll go venture off into something that has the ability to make us wealthy or bankrupt us if it's done wrong but they won't go talk to necessarily an expert in it. So go find your local expert in property management and rental properties and things like that. Talk to them about where are good places to look. Because if you are competing with REITs and iBuyers and different wholesalers, there may be some outside areas that are up and coming and things like that. They're gonna, people who you know, specialize in this, they're gonna pay attention to those areas and be able to help you. iBuyers are not looking at stuff pre-78. They're not looking at stuff below 300,000. I mean, in, in the, our, our market anyway, uh, they're, they've got a specific niche that they like. You stay out of that niche and you're, you're going to be just fine. And you know that what you're talking about, finding somebody to talk to, that's not hard. No, There are RIAs all over the place. I'm a member of Tennessee RIA. They have a weekly lunch on Mondays um, in Brentwood. There's also the real estate investors of Nashville. Heck, I host a coffee every Tuesday morning at Just Love Coffee right, right behind uh uh, Burger Republic, is that right? Burger Republic, um, the fountains. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yep. mm-hmm. uh, every Tuesday morning, we're there from seven thirty nine. Anybody wants to come that's like likes real estate can come. Not just pick my brain, but a lot of other experts also. Uh, there's, it's really easy to find people to talk to. I'll say you even do a little video on Mondays explaining what the topic's going to be. <laughs> right, so yeah, if anybody like, goes and follows you on social media, they'll be able to see kind of what your Tuesday topic's going to be, and if it's something of interest to them or they think they might value from. We have a lot of fun on those Tuesday coffees, and it doesn't always stay on topic. <laughs> well, see, that's I can imagine with you and Bernard, it does not stay on topic. Well, and that's a great invitation for our members, you know. Sure, yeah, and you follow. can edit that if you need to. No. <laughs> no, 
that does sound fun, and I know you've got a, a, a good um, audience that goes to that. You know, NAR also pushes the financial wellness component, and that's part of their series this month through MVP. Uh, for those of you that are listening, go to nar.realtor, and you can just search for financial wellness. That was the catalyst is this conversation is we try to help other families create generational wealth, but studies at several years ago was finding that realtors weren't doing it for themselves. And so why, why not? Why not take that advantage? And this is another um, a little uh, service that NAR offers is financial wellness. Go take, go, go take part in it. That study encouraged Reback to develop the uh, working with real estate investors and becoming one yourself class, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I'm a teacher of, and I, I like that class. You taught it for us last year. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as we're getting close to wrapping up here, one of the things that I make everybody on the podcast do is answer a couple of questions for us. Uh-oh. You're in trouble. Yeah, totally random stuff. <laughs> uh, but actually, because usually every guest has a different kind of personality trait or, or something like that. I, they'll, they'll lean towards it. And because of some conversation you and I have had, I think these will fit right in. But uh, if you... Yeah. I'm a little worried. I feel uncomfortable. No, there's some of those conversations that it will just leave off the radio. What, uh, what party did you vote in? No, 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 no politics. Oh. Um, but, uh, but if you had one book that you could recommend to anybody listening that is a, a must-read what would that be? So you probably heard an awful lot of books around there, around like if you're going to be an entrepreneur, the e-myth is e-myth revisited is an absolute necessity. And everybody knows I say everybody. That's probably one that's told over and over again. So I'm going to tell one you may not have heard. And it's called Thou Shalt Prosper, The Ten Commandments of Making Money. It's a fantastic research book on a group of, of people in, in, the, in the world that compose less than 2% of our population, but pepper the Forbes 400 list. I would encourage people. It's by, written by Rabbi David Lapin. I, re- I would recommend that one. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, if you uh, could have a billboard with a message that you just want everybody to see, it could say whatever you wanted to say. Well, never. It can say anything <laughs> appropriate that you would like it to say. Uh, what would that billboard say? Holy cow. you got to put parameters wow, on this. Wow, man. <laughs> Did you see his eyes? His oh, eyes were like, uh-huh. He got really excited way too quick, and it scared me. It's just, you see, you got too many thoughts going around in my brain. I, you know, I got the thought over here that says, well, God's telling me to seek Jesus. And I've got the thought over here that says, hmm, let's go make some money. You know? There you go. <laughs> uh, I'd say have fun and be nice. Smile. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I get told that a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the last one, what gets you excited to get up and do this? Every day, because you've done this now for a while. We've talked about you started your journey in, in uh, investments, basically at eighteen. You know, so what what still gets you excited to get out of bed and go do this every single day? I really love this business, and when I say I love this business, I love real estate. I, we were talking in D.C. You saw me gawking at all the architecture, and I've seen it all before, but I still can't resist it. I just absolutely love real estate. Now, how do you define love? I can't do it. But I do love real estate. I did not like being a sales agent. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that. I served 13 years under Howard Wall at Cole Banker, and bless his heart, he kept me along. I made just enough to feed my rental property habit. But the property management business, I absolutely love it, and I, I can't explain it because most realtors detest it. Well, and that's the beautiful That is kind of the crazy thing about it because if you ask most people, like, I'll tell you, you couldn't pay me enough to do property management. 
And, uh, and I'm not a good landlord. Either. It's a thankless job a lot of times, and it's a it's a difficult job, and that's why there's a lot of property management companies that don't make it. The stories we get, man. I, I think that landlords, property managers have the third best stories of any industry, followed only by law enforcement and paramedics. <laughs> oh, we <laughs> yeah, we've we shared a few of those stories. So, um, but no, that I, I think that's a um, a great ex- a, a great example because I think sometimes people lose the passion for it so for you to be able to sit there and go i still genuinely love it i've been doing it since 1989 and i still genuinely love it i was seven years old um but uh i would also be remiss without thanking you for your service you're an air force veteran and i I do appreciate your service i'm a patriot and i try to thank our veterans thanks well i thank the taxpayer for giving me the opportunity it was a great opportunity for me if anybody wants to try to get a hold of you how do they do that? By the neck, usually. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, too. So you can find our website at rentfrompmi.com. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to get home. Also, Scott Abernathy on Facebook. I am Kingpin Landlord on uh, Twitter. Kingpin Landlord, by the way, is my book that I've written. You can find that on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Published author, yes. Wow. Uh-huh. I did not know that. Yeah, surprise. Yeah. I need to let you guys know that. Yeah. Yeah. So... Well, thank you so much for answering the questions and kind of giving us a little bit of information. I think we're going to do a, kind of a question and answer session with a lot of our new graduates from uh, the MTAR orientation class. And so we may try to get you back on for any of the property management and, and investment side of things, if you're willing. So. Happy to do it. Awesome. Thank you. Well, this has been another episode of Tenants in Common. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Tenants in Common. Find out more about the association and upcoming events at www.mtar.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MidTNRealtors. Duplication or publication of this podcast is strictly prohibited without the written consent of the Middle Tennessee Association of Realtors. Until next time.